Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and each month we present a podcast or a lecture on different topics that are related to low vision. And tonight we're going to talk about the clinical trials. What are the pros and the cons of participating in some of these clinical trials, and how do you find more information about clinical trials? What I'll do is I'll speak for a moment today, and then we'll open it up to any questions that you have, or perhaps some of you may have been involved in clinical trials and you'd like to share some information. Now, generally, when a person has suffered from a loss of vision, it is usually caused by some sort of an eye disease. And these particular types of diseases, they may affect different parts of the eye. In other words, not all eye diseases cause the same damage to the same region of the eye. In some cases, a person may have a damaged optic nerve, and the optic nerve is the nerve that sends information from your eye to the very, very back of the brain. The optic nerve may become damaged if a person has too much pressure in the eye, a condition known as glaucoma. Or the optic nerve may become damaged because of inflammation. Or it may become damaged because of some sort of an accident or trauma. Another region of the eye that is responsible for vision impairment is the retina. And the retina is a tissue that lines the inside of the eye. So when we look at an object, the light rays from the object that we're looking at, it comes into our eye and it focuses right on the tissue, which is called the retina. Now, many older adults, they develop an eye disease called macular degeneration. And the macula is the centermost region of the retina. And in cases with macular degeneration, those cells may become damaged. The causes of this type of damage, it often is associated with sunlight exposure. It's also correlated with smoking. And we see that for some people, it may be that they have suffered from other types of medical injuries where medications may have affected those cells in the macula. A second form of macular degeneration which causes more severe vision impairment is called wet macular degeneration. And in this case, it is called wet because the blood vessels in the macula, they begin to bleed. And when those blood vessels bleed, it results in scar tissue forming. And that scar tissue can pull on the macula and it can cause very significant loss of central vision. Other types of causes of retinal diseases are diabetes. Now, diabetes is the number one cause of vision impairment among adults. And in diabetes, when a person has increased blood sugar, 
those blood vessels in the eye may often leak and bleed. And when they are leaking and bleeding, we find that the tissues of the retina, they don't receive enough oxygen and that causes the cells to die. In also other situations with diabetes, when the blood is leaking, there is scar tissue that forms and this scar tissue can literally pull and tear and detach the retina and it can cause blindness. And we also know that there are other causes of retinal conditions. Things such as retinitis pigmentosa or Stargardt's disease or Leber's congenital amaurosis. There's many, many different types of diseases that affect the retina and they all typically do the same thing. They damage the cells of the retina and as a result, the retina is not able to send that image to the brain. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is the fact that there are many, many, many different types of research trials that are going on. Now, these particular types of research studies are usually initiated by ophthalmologists. And these ophthalmologists are researchers and surgeons who are very familiar in working with these particular types of eye diseases. They often are working in association with other types of neuroscientists as well as visual scientists. So in other words, many times these visual scientists and neuroscientists are people who primarily work in the lab. They don't always see patients every day in the way that an ophthalmologist may. But these doctors will often have different particular types of interest in certain diseases, and they often come up with ideas of various treatments or different procedures or different types of surgeries that may prevent the loss of vision, or they may also have different treatments and procedures that they believe will restore vision. So when they first begin to do this type of research, they do a lot of research in the library. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of articles that they're reading to gain the documentation, this particular type of evidence that would suggest that this treatment may be helpful. Now it's very important that they gather all of these types of references and they type it in a report because this information is what is going to be presented to the National Eye Institute or the National Institute of Health. The National Eye Institute is in Maryland and they often oversee many of these different types of clinical trials. It's a very important organization because you don't want to participate in a trial that hasn't really been overseen very carefully. I remember when I was going to school, I was at UCLA and working with an ophthalmologist. And my job was to be one of these people that would do a lot of these types of clinical studies. Now, we were doing the clinical studies first on rabbits 
And so I became very interested in this whole idea. And he was working on different types of medications that could reduce the chances of blindness due to diabetes. And as we were talking about some of these types of things, I asked him, why is it, why is it that we really need all of this documentation? You know, I don't mind going to the stack for the library and finding all of these articles and photocopying it and typing it. But, you know, we have over 400 references right now for this paper we're submitting. I said, why do we need to do this? You already know that this is probably going to be helpful. And he said, yes, that is true. I do know that this is something that's going to be helpful. But we have to get the permission from the National Eye Institute to do this. And in their mind, they have no idea if this is going to work. They have no idea if I'm an honest doctor or not. And for all they know, this medication that we are putting in the eyes of these rabbits to prevent blindness, for all that they know, it may be soy sauce. And he just starts laughing. He thought that was the funniest joke ever. So I laughed too. But I did understand. There can be many situations in which the research team may actually propose that this treatment may be beneficial. And if we don't have an organization such as the National Eye Institute overseeing these particular types of studies, there may be many people such as us, who might sign up for this study, and this whole study is a sham. It may also be that people may sign up for these studies, and it actually costs them a lot of money to participate in the studies. There are many times that people would fly to UCLA to be part of a clinical trial, and the airfare it is something that is not cheap. Or you're going to need a hotel for a few days while you're receiving the treatment and the hotels and the food. Those are things that are not cheap. So, number one, we really want to make certain that this is a study that actually has been overseen and reviewed by the National Eye Institute. The next thing is that we want to have certain types of questions that we can ask those researchers. And this is something that if you hear from a friend or a relative that there is a clinical trial, you have to be aware that there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of clinical trials. You don't want to get the feeling that I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to get in this trial because there are so many different trials that there will be many opportunities for you to be a participant in a clinical trial. It's also very helpful to understand that when a clinical trial is performed and it is successful, if they do find that it has some benefit there are then going to be subsequent clinical trials using the same treatment. 
And so in many cases, if you are one of the people on the second or the third clinical trial, this is something that's going to be even more effective. They may be better at implementing the treatment, or they may be more experienced at performing that surgery, so it could be more helpful. So you want to look at that clinical trial and take a look to see what phase is it. The first question you try to find out is what phase is this? Is this phase one or phase two or phase three or phase four? Phase one is a very, very early clinical trial. Many times, phase one clinical trials are performed on animals, whereas phase two, they will then try it on humans. And if it is something that's beneficial, then they go ahead and do phase three and phase four. So you want to find out what particular phase is this particular trial. Next, you want to ask your eye doctor, ask your own eye doctor if he or she is familiar with this clinical trial. And if it happens to be that you have never heard of any clinical trial for your eye condition, ask your eye doctor. Your eye doctor is going to know about many, many different types of clinical trials. And if you let them know that you are interested in participating in a clinical trial, he could put you on a list or he could call you or send you email if there's something that he feels would really be very appropriate for yours. The next thing we want to find out is when there is a clinical trial, how much time, how much time is this going to take? For some of us, we might not be working. Maybe we're in early retirement because of our vision loss, or we don't have any work because of our vision loss. And in these situations, it may be that it's easy for you to participate. They may tell you, we would like for you to come in for one week for the first time, and then we want you to come in once every month after that for the next five years. So these clinical trials, they can last a very long time. And what they require, they really require your cooperation. If it is a situation where you cannot make it as frequently as they want, it really hurts their study. So if you cannot make that time, you know, commitment, you don't want to participate. It becomes very, very difficult. Now, you may also ask, is this something that I am able to quit? If I sign up for a clinical trial, is it possible that I quit? You do have the opportunity to quit from a clinical trial at any time. Or if you are suffering from side effects, maybe the medication that they're trying gives you side effects, headaches, stomach aches, 
So if you have any particular types of side effects that you are experiencing, or if the researchers find that this is affecting your eye in a negative way, they may tell you that we do not want to continue. But if it's a situation where you happen to quit because it's not convenient for your new work schedule, or you you don't see that this is improving your vision that much, and you don't want to go back because you don't see that it's helping, you do have the right to quit. But it really, really is very hurtful to the research project. In other words, we really don't want people to quit. But it is something that you are eligible to do. The next thing about these clinical trials is you also want to ask them, what do they anticipate would be the best thing that could happen from this treatment? From this clinical trial, what could be the best thing that could ever happen? They may tell you that it might improve your vision to the point where maybe you're able to see colors better. Or they might tell you, you may see better to the point where you're able to read or you're able to identify faces. But you want to get a true understanding of what might be the best possible result of this. Because I found is that in so many cases, people who go into the clinical trials, we expect that this might bring back my vision to normal. I'm going to have normal vision. I'm going to be driving again. I'm going to go out there and play golf. I'm going to do all of these things, and I'll be better than I used to. But you really want to talk to the doctor to get an understanding of what might be that benefit. In some cases, these treatments are such that they are only expecting that this disease may not come back to hurt your vision again in the future. You may not have hemorrhaging in the retina in the future again if you have this type of treatment. Now, another thing that's very, very important to know about clinical trials is that it is also very possible that you may not receive the treatment. They might put you in the research study, but they might give you what is called the placebo. They give you the sugar pill. They give you the fake treatment. In all of these types of clinical trials, there is always what's called the control group. The control group are the group of people in the study that they do not actually receive any treatment. They may inject something in your eye, but it might just be saline water. Now, the experimental group is the group that is receiving the experimental treatment. Now, you might say, well, that's not really fair. If I'm going to put this time into this, I really want to make certain that I am getting this experimental treatment. And in so many of these cases, you will not know if you're getting the treatment 
or if you're going to get the control group. There are some of these clinical trials that are even designed to the level that the doctor and his staff that are working with you, they also do not know if they have given you the experimental treatment or if it's just a placebo pill. So in those cases, the doctors don't know and you don't know what you have received. And they do this so that as they are actually studying the benefits of these treatments, they can very accurately know what kind of results have happened. Now, one of the reasons that this is very important is because there are many situations that a human's brain will think, they will think that they are seeing better. So when we ask the person, oh, have you noticed any changes in your vision? And the person who thinks that they have received the experimental treatment will say, oh, my gosh, yes. I can could, I could read large print books better now. And I notice my eyes don't hurt when I'm in the sun. And we ask them a month later, are you still noticing improvements with your vision? Oh, my gosh, yes. I even took my car out, and I was driving. These are very, very common types of psychological types of responses. In other words, people who think that they are getting a treatment, they will often think that they're seeing better, even if the doctors do not measure any improvement in their vision. So this is, again, another one of those reasons why they want the person who participates in a clinical trial to know. They want you to know that it is possible that you are not receiving the treatment. And this is a way that they get more accurate types of responses from the client. Now, another thing that you should know about these types of clinical trials is that in many cases, let's say that there is a new treatment. We're going to call it drug A. And drug A is to help people who have very poor vision because of retinal damage. And you decide that you want to participate in this clinical trial with drug A. And then next year, another company comes out with a medication that they're really excited about, drug B. If you participate in clinical trial for drug A, many times that will disqualify you from participating in clinical trial B. So before you say yes and you go into some of these clinical trials, you really want to speak to your doctor who will actually know of other clinical trials that are coming around the corner because if you participate in one trial, it may prevent you from participating in another. And what your goal is, is to participate in the clinical trial that is really the most effective. Now, many people will say, uh, is, is it true that they also might pay you to participate in the clinical trial? 
And there are some clinical trials that may pay you to help you to cover for some of your expenses. But in most clinical trials that I have been aware of, the people, they have not gotten paid. I've heard people tell me things like they said, you know, this particular company, they paid me $100,000 to participate in this clinical trial. I double-checked that. I contacted that company to see if that is, in fact, true. It was not true. The person who wants to participate in the clinical trial is really doing it as a good Samaritan. They're doing it to help doctors to learn and to know whether or not these particular types of treatments can be beneficial. And it is because of these particular types of clinical trials that people have been able to improve their vision. So I'm going to tell you about a few of the different types of uh, treatments that have come from these clinical trials in the past that are used very frequently now. You know, as I mentioned, wet macular degeneration and diabetes are responsible for a very, very large percentage of the cases of vision impairment. And as we stated, in these particular conditions, wet macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy, the problem comes because the blood vessels inside the eye are leaking. And we find that abnormal, these abnormal blood vessels then grow. And when the abnormal vessels start to grow in the retina, they are simply trying to take more blood and more oxygen to the tissues so the tissues won't die. Well, the problem is that these new blood vessels that grow, they're very weak and they often bleed. So when they bleed, they leak a lot of blood, causes a lot of scar tissue. And when they are leaking and we have more and more scar tissue, that is when we have a lot of these different types of problems. Well, fortunately, through the clinical trials, the scientists have found that there is something that is called the vascular endothelial growth factor. VEGF is what they call it. VEGF is what is responsible for those blood vessels growing. So they have been able to find that there are medications that are called anti-VEGF. And when this particular type of medication is put into the eye, these abnormal blood vessels do not grow. So this is something that is really very, very helpful. And today, we now that there, know that there are clinical trials that are studying how we can use additional medications so that the anti-VEGF it lasts longer in the eye. So in this case, it may be that a person will not have to go to get a shot of the medication in their eye every month. And we're hoping that with this particular type of new medication, a person might only have to go in for an injection of the medication once every six months or maybe even longer. So this is something that is very, very helpful because, number one, people don't want to go and get an eye injection. It doesn't really hurt because they anesthetize your eye, 
But if you had a choice, you would rather not go to the doctors to get your eyes injected with a medication like that. Another particular type of clinical trial that has been very, very exciting uh, to people who have retinitis pigmentosa, this particular type of clinical trial comes from a company called Second Sight. And what Second Sight has done, Second Sight has stated, what if we were to use biotechnology? What we would like to be able to do is we would like for a person to wear a pair of video glasses, and we are going to implant an electrical chip onto the retina. So the person would wear the glasses and the signals from the camera would then be sent to that electrical chip on the retina. The retina would then send those signals down the optic nerve to the back of the brain, and we hope that it might restore vision. This particular device was called the Argus. And with the Argus, it was something that has been able to restore vision in people who were even totally blind. In other words, people who were totally blind due to retinitis pigmentosa were able to regain vision. Now, the level of vision they had, it was not like the vision that they had in the past. But they were able to see different colored images so that they could see the outline of a person's body or a tree or a building or a car. And more recently, the clinical trial that they are doing now is even more sophisticated. And this is something that could potentially help any person, regardless of what is wrong with their eye or what is wrong with their optic nerve. This treatment could even be more impactful. Here, they're using the special glasses that are the video glasses, but they implanted the chip not on the eye. They said, let's just go all the way back to the visual part of the brain. Let's bypass the entire eye. Let's bypass the entire optic nerve. And when a person puts on these glasses, the electrical signals will be sent from the glasses to the visual part of the brain, and let's see if it is something that could generate vision. And the most amazing thing is that it has, excuse me, it chokes me up a little bit, but it has generated vision. So with this particular model that is being studied, you wouldn't even have to have an eye. You could be a person who was in a car accident, for example, and both your eyes were lost. Or you could have been in a very serious accident and both of your optic nerves could have been damaged. This is something that has the potential of helping anybody to be able to have vision. So this is a very, very exciting type of research that's being performed by Second Sight. And later this year, 
we will be actually interviewing the people from Second Sight to give us an update on how things are going with that particular type of study. So overall, there are many, many, many different types of studies. Some of the things that are being studied very, very frequently right now are the clinical trials related to gene therapy. And we know that there are many eye diseases that are inherited. And these inherited eye conditions are caused by an abnormal gene. Our genes in our body, they produce proteins. But if we have the abnormal gene, we don't produce the normal protein. And that is something that can lead to reduced vision. So a lot of the different genetic studies now are mapping the genes that you and I or a other person with low vision may have to find out if you, in fact, do have an abnormal gene. And if we do find that you have an abnormal gene, we could then find different geneticists to see who has been able to produce the normal gene. And they then inject the normal gene into the cells and they watch to see what happens when the normal protein is then developed. And the very exciting news is that there are many different types of cases where people have had genetic problems that damage the retina. And these people have been able to regain vision. So all in all, what I'm telling you is that we are living in the best time that we could ever have lived in the history of the world, this is by far the best time ever, the best. There's never been a time that we've had so many options and so many new developments. And these clinical trials are things that you can consider participating in, but you want to make certain that this clinical trial is going to be right for you and you want to speak to your doctor about that. And I also feel it's not important if you're the very first. It's better to let them get more experimental data so that they could manipulate the treatments to help you the very most. So at this time, we're going to go ahead and we will open it up to any questions. And I also want to make a quick announcement. Some of you have seen some of the emails that I sent out. I sent out an email and made some mistakes. Uh, but we will, be, we will be having some very, very good speakers. Uh, one of them this August is going to be Tom Lalos and Vicki Parker. They're going to talk about the importance of support groups. Uh, so that's going to be something to look forward to in August. And if anybody has any questions, unmute your phone and press uh, star 1, and I'll be happy to answer a few questions. I, uh, in the big, early in your presentation, I think it would be good if you would identify the various categories of treatment, like devices, chemicals, and what other things like that. What, what are the categories of treatment? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good comment. I'll take that suggestion in the future. 
But in reality, there are so many different types of categories. For example, there are many nutritional studies yeah. that are, are studying the effects of the foods we eat and how that affects vision. There's studies that are looking at the relationship between nicotine and tobacco. There's others that are surgical techniques that are studying what is the best way to treat some of the retinal detachments that occur from diabetes. There are new medications that are being studied. There's gene therapy. So there's many, many, many different categories, and that would be something that can, it might be really helpful for you to sit down and buy some time from your doctor who can really help you if you're interested in trying to find a clinical trial. And apparently, at least uh, a few of these types of treatment cannot be reversed. Like you said, if it's surgery, that's, that, that should be a factor of people considering whether or not they want to participate, right? If whatever they're going to be doing for two years can't be reversed or can be reversed. No, you're correct. If you are taking a medication or you are undergoing a new surgical treatment, once you do that, you can't go backwards. You can't reverse time. No. Next question, please. Dr. Bill, it's Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Hey. Um, great, great talk. It's very, very, you know, informational. So thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you for I saying that. I always appreciate your talk. So um, I'm interested in the gene mapping. You know, I have RP. And um, I think this would be interesting down the road to see, you know, what's, what's going on and what genes and the protein that you said, I, I totally agree with that, you know. So it's yes. very interesting. I didn't know if you could elaborate a little bit more on, you know, where you can go on the Internet and look at that or should I talk to the doctor or what's the steps that you need to take? Yeah, well, you know, some of the largest gene therapy studies are for, people with retinitis pigmentosa, also known as RP, and also for Leber's congenital amaurosis. And the company that is doing this particular type of study is called Sparks Therapeutic. Sparks Therapeutic. And what they have been able to do is they have a very easy, and it's a non-invasive type of test, to be able to test your genes. They will swipe the inside of your cheek, of your mouth, and they could then determine your genetic makeup. Now, if you do have what's called the abnormal RPE65 gene, they have the ability to implant the normal RPE65 gene into your cells. And this is what's very exciting because I have spoken to people who have received this treatment and they have gained vision. That is exciting. So, <laughs> that is exciting. exciting. Yeah. Yes. So I, I would talk to your ophthalmologist and perhaps uh, maybe even he or she at their office, maybe they are working in conjunction with Spark Therapeutic and they'll be able to do uh, that that gene testing for you, okay. or they could refer you to the the local office that is doing it. Great, thanks, Doctor Bill. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, Edward. Uh, 
I live in Rochester, Minnesota, home of the Mayo Clinic, and I have been allowed to have a, a gene therapy test, blood test taken, and in a, next month I'll be meeting with my ophthalmologist to hear the results. Oh, great. Very good. What is your eye condition? RP. Okay, yeah, that's, that probably might be what they're testing for is that gene. Well, good luck to you. You know, I this sounds sometimes kind of bad, but I hope you do have the RPE65 gene mutation because that is the one that seems to be able to be improved. From your voice to God's ear. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Dr. Uh, Bill, this Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey, everybody, I, I want to tell you something. Uh, Tom's in Wyoming, and he said it's like 42 degrees over there. <laughs> <laughs> that was this morning. That was oh, this morning. okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. Uh, Bill, over the years, I've heard, and I know a lot of folks on the call have heard, of different experimental uh, clinical trials that have gone on in different countries around the world. And, 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 the, and the discussion always seems to come back to, okay, why isn't the United States kind of leading the pack in this? And then people talk about the FDA and this and that. And so I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about, you know, just you know, global research, if you will, you know, because the United States certainly doesn't lead the pack in some of this research. Yeah, that's so true, Tom. That's a really good question that you brought up, and I really thought about that quite a bit, too. This is when I was doing research. I was a, a researcher at UCLA, as I stated, and so I asked my doctor that I was working for, and I said, you know, I've heard things from other people where they have gone to other countries, and they've, they've, had, they've tried these other herbs. I've heard about a lot of herbs, and you drink these herbal teas from China. I've heard about a lot of different things like that from different countries. And I said, you know, doctor, why, why don't we start testing some of those things here? He said, if any of those different treatments that you've heard about or people have said truly did work, everybody would be going there and doing it. In other words, if there was a cure to be found in any part of the world, if it truly did cure people, it would get back to us here. So his point was is that a lot of people will talk about treatments that they have heard, or if you smoke certain types of marijuana, this is going to help you. But if you smoke marijuana and then you follow it by a shooter, it works even better. There's a lot of different stories that people tell you, and and they aren't necessarily true. But it is something that the clinical hospitals here in the United States, they are very aware of these these different reported treatments in different countries. And what's also very good for all of us to know is that there are many ophthalmology resident and fellow doctors who are studying abroad in different parts of the world. 
and they themselves are actually doing different types of studies on these things as well. Good question, Tom. Thank you. Dr. Bill, this is Denise from New Jersey. Hi, Denise. Hi. Um, two weeks ago, I was um, I saw my neuro-ophthalmologist because I have optic nerve damage, and he um, advised me that he would like for me to participate in a clinical trial um, oh. uh, yeah, that involves gene therapy. And even though my optic nerve damage is due to pseudotumor, he said that what's happening is that they're noticing that they're transferring the genetic element to individuals who have optic nerve damage, which is what I have. And so I'm cautiously optimistic, and this is a topical topic for me because I really didn't know what questions to ask him. And now you've kind of given me kind of an outline of questions to ask him um, when I see him again because what has happened, on top of the fact that I have this optic nerve damage that I've had since 1992, um, what, and, and I, I, have, I have vision in one eye, and it's a little tiny window, and what I see looks like a, a steamy shower, and now I've started to lose all my acuity because, very strangely, I have a scar on my retina that we don't know where it came from. So anyway, long story short, long story short is I am cautiously optimistic to do this. My only concern is losing the little bit of vision that that remains. Yeah. Well, the first thing, I think you have a wonderful ophthalmologist who is, you know, looking out for you. Yes. Things that may be a benefit to you. Yeah. But I, I would have to ask him, I know it's not 100% possible to give these numbers, but I want any particular type of number. What's the possibility, what's the probability that I right. might lose my vision in my good eye if I do this? Right. I, I would need to ask him of that difficult question to get that number. But mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the the research that he's referring to but another uh, friend of mine who has lost vision in his eyes because of optic nerve neuropathy, mm-hmm. he has recently been told about a new treatment also. So I'm wondering if these are both, you know, the same treatments where they want to use gene therapy to try to restore uh, the nerve fibers in the optic nerve. Very and that's like... Yeah, he explained to me that the human body, your 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 body tells your turn off at the age of nine or ten, and he said that what they're doing is they are trying to find out the right combination to turn on and off to get the nerves to kind of regrow, possibly. Wow, that's exciting. Well, keep us informed. Keep us informed. But I would ask for him of a number. Okay. The best number he could give you of of the probability that you, you might risk the vision in your better eye. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Bill, Tom here. I do have optic atrophy, and my the neuro-ophthalmologist I see at the University of Vermont Medical Center recommended do I have uh, genetic testing. He didn't think it would do me any good or my son, who has a little bit of a problem. But, you know, genetic testing, maybe my grandchildren or great-grandchildren, 
if they oh. could determine what gene. And also, Denise, if you could email me on that, I'm very interested in that. And I got a very easy email, Vermont Tom, all spelled out, V-E-R-M-O-N-T-T-O-M at Gmail. This is Denise. Can you say it again? It's Vermont Tom, all spelled out. Go ahead. Vermont, yeah, with two T's in there, you know, Vermont Tom, no spaces, just Vermont Tom at gmail.com. I will I will email it to you, Tom. It's the information. Well, this is um, Worldwide Hospital, my neuro ophthalmologist. So I'll email you. Oh. Yeah. If if you went to see Will's Eye, I saw Dr. George Space way back in the seventies at Will's Eye when I lived in South Jersey. Wow. <laughs> exit, okay. exit to the Turnpike. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, hey, Tom, you know, I think it's really exciting, and I think it's worthwhile to at least have the, the gene study because it could really be important vision to your son and your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. So it, it may put an end to uh, the, the inheritance of this abnormal gene. Yeah, because uh, I checked the, the my VA doctor because I go to the VA, and she said, long as you understand, it probably won't help you. I said, I understand that. It's just knowing, getting the knowledge, and you might have a diagnosis, no cure, but at least you would know what is potentially causing it. Yes. I think that's really good. Okay. Does does anybody else have any final question? Dr. Bill, it's Scott. Oh, hi, Scott. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Good. Um, So, most ophthalmologists that I've talked to said there's nothing that can be done about a damaged optic nerve. Are they just ill-informed and not up to speed, or is there really uh, studies that are showing that there is some possibilities of restoration? Well, you know, I I don't know because I'm not a neuro-ophthalmologist and I have not kept up on all of the research, but according to what Denise had mentioned tonight, uh, it is something that her doctor is really encouraging her. Mm-hmm. So I think that with the new advances in gene therapy, there may be a way of producing the optic nerve fibers using gene therapy, and we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Uh, I, I would again, I would again ask, uh, for example. Your doctor is Anthony Arnold, who's very, very well-known at UCLA. I would ask him if that's something that you could you could spend some time with him mm-hmm. and he can keep you up to date with everything going on there. Okay? Okay. Okay, okay great. Well, I want to thank all of you for being on the call this evening. And we want to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA for recording this. Uh, you could find this podcast at www.airsla.org, and it will also be up on the CCLVI site. Leslie, do you have any comments that you want to make before I know you got the the, I, the convention? I just want to say yes. I hope to see everybody at convention. We are selling the books. We'll be at Marketplace. We have a lot of wonderful events. We're going to miss you, Dr. Bill. You were a wonderful asset last year, so hopefully... We'll get you again in Rochester, New York, and um, I just want everybody to keep listening to Dr. Bill, so thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Good night.